All right, let's pray together. Uh, Lord, we thank you um, for the wonderful music uh, and the message. Uh, Lord, you are the one who will leave the 99 to go find the one that is lost and rejoice uh, when we are found. Uh, I pray, Lord, that we would find comfort in that today, um, that we would find um, an openness, a place, Lord, um, in your eyes, knowing, Lord, that you would go to that length, not just for somebody else, but for us. So, Lord, as we dig into your scripture today, as we dig into the book of James, Lord, um, would you encourage us, meet us where we're at, Lord, reveal to us your love and your truth, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, well, thank you, choir, thank you, uh, everybody that sang this morning. Um, It's beautiful. Uh, After the last couple weeks, we've been going through the book of James. We've hit some pretty solid themes. I'm going to jump right into it here today. Uh, some of these themes that we've talked about uh, recur, they tie together, they come up again and again. So uh, as we know, repetition is good. We've talked about that before as well. Uh, one of the themes is that we cannot separate what we believe from what we do. That theme is central to today's message in scripture as well. And uh, we tend to do what we actually believe, right? We tend to live in a way that reinforces what our deepest beliefs are, what our deepest desires are, uh, whether we profess that to be true or not. The second sort of recurring theme is these trials and testing that we encounter and endure in Christ Jesus as we live this life, because there are trials. There are things that don't go according to God's perfect plan in this world because of sin, because of fallen humanity. And so we have these opportunities to grow and, and to do And we grow in our faith as the Holy Spirit works this perseverance, this endurance through us as we do what our faith compels us to do. And as we dig into this idea that faith without works is dead, that Connor introduced to us this morning, let's remember um, those things that we've talked about already as a foundation for this. Uh, One of the conversations we had at Adult Ed this morning is it's really easy to take one or two of these verses this week and completely steer off the path of following Jesus. If we start to believe that it's just about our works and that's how we're saved, that's not what the Bible teaches. And we can just as easily believe it's only about what we believe and not about what we do. But really, James is saying, you cannot separate these two things from each other. So as we dig into our text today, James 2, 14 through 26, how many times have you struggled to do what is good and right? Is that a struggle for you? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand, but I think if we're all honest, all of our hands would be up, right? Like we know what is good, we know what is right, and there's these areas of our lives where we fail to live that way. Maybe, maybe consistently, maybe it's an everyday thing, maybe it's a, every once in a while we stumble and we forget, but we, we struggle with this as humans. Maybe as a parent, it's in how you raise your kids, Uh, Or maybe it comes with with healthy boundaries or or healthy habits. Perhaps it's when you see somebody in need and you know you might be able to help or you know for sure you can, but you choose to keep on moving. You decide you don't have the time or some other reason keeps you from engaging with that or stepping up. Uh, Maybe you struggle to build good habits. I fall into that boat. I've had seasons of my life where it's really easy and seasons where it's really hard. And most of the time it's hard. Because I am stuck in my ways like so many people. Or maybe when you think of Christians doing what you believe, you think of the word hypocrite. 
A hypocrite is somebody who professes one thing and does another. And, and there's not a single Christian in the world who is not a hypocrite. So if you're feeling like, man, I'm just a hypocrite today, get, we all are, okay? We have all uh, professed faith and ascribed in the perfect God whose son is Jesus Christ who died for our sins and overcame the grave. And no, we don't measure up, which is exactly why we need him. There's not a single Christian who does not fall short. And so we are constantly and consistently in need of God's love and grace in our lives. But that doesn't mean that we can't grow and do better, right? And better represent God's good news of forgiveness and love in Jesus Christ. Because Jesus is working in us and through us to make us become more than we are. And he wants us to become more and more like the people he created to be to reflect the glory of God and the love of Jesus Christ to the world around us. We often want to grow and do that and do what is good and right, but we also know that we are imperfect on the other hand. And oftentimes our world systems and the reality of evil, it just makes it difficult. The tension of professing one thing and doing another is one that all Christians feel in some way uh, there's a couple big reasons for that. First is we've decided to believe in a God that is worth following. And we know we cannot measure up, but he accepts us, he meets us, even where we are as sinners, the Bible tells us. Meaning that our life isn't all together the day we meet Jesus. It's a process. It's a work in process. This process of becoming what God calls us to be is one that takes time, and so we feel this tension. Uh, second, the sin is very real in this world and in our lives, and the enemy is very real in this world and working in our lives to oppose God's goodness. So not only do we just naturally struggle, there are also forces against us, right? And therefore, there is this opposition to us living according to what James is compelling us to do here in this scripture today. So the struggle to do what is good, it is a real struggle, and it's not always just about our efforts or decisions. Like, God has to do a lot of work in us and through us to make that possible. But sometimes God works alongside and in and through our effort and our decisions. And we partner with him and we yield to his work in our life so that we can grow. So that we can do better with the Lord's help and by the leading of the Holy Spirit. And so I don't want us to give up and feel defeated. No, James is encouraging us here because it is possible for us to be a better witness and a more life-filled witness and representation of the love of Jesus Christ in this world. James wants us to find encouragement about what we do, and he wants to see Christians live into the abundant life found in Jesus Christ and by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's dig into the scriptures here. I'm going to start with James 2, uh, verse 14. He writes this, What good is it, my brothers and sisters, if someone claims to have faith but has no deeds, can such faith save them? It's a really good question, right? It's a question we've all probably struggled with in some way in our lives. Uh, James's question here is expecting a negative answer, right? Uh, we'd probably all say no, right? If, there, if there's no actions to, to show that they really truly believe what it is they say they believe, we would probably say it's no good. How can faith be real if it doesn't produce action or produce fruit? So James argues here through these questions that a faith that is real is going to be a faith that is lived and acted upon, right? And in the context of Jesus and the gospel, a faith in Jesus will be a faith that produces action and fruit that looks like Jesus, 
not like our own idea of Jesus or our own representation of him, but it will truly reflect the Son of God and his life and his teaching. One of our scriptures this morning said, if we love him, we will obey his teachings. I think that's true, and I think that ties in intimately with what James is arguing here. So continuing with verse 15, suppose a brother or sister is without clothes and daily food. If one of you says to them, go in peace, keep warm and well-fed, but does nothing about their physical needs, what good is it? In the same way, faith by itself, if it is not accompanied by action, is dead. This illustrates what faith without works looks like in daily life. And it is a hard teaching of the scripture, right? It's one of those things that very definitively says, here's something that might be lacking in our lives and in our church. Go in peace. I wish you well. But if the actions don't follow what we, the sentiment, the, the blessing, the wish, the prayer, did we really mean it? That's what James is getting us to ask. That's what he wants us to struggle with. James argues here that especially with the poor, he had just talked about in chapter 1, especially with the poor, uh, this, this sort of mentality to say, go in peace, I wish you well, uh, and to not do anything, it is a cop-out, he's arguing, uh, to stay warm, be full, knowing very well that they cannot do that by their own means. And he would say maybe it's even dishonorable to those people. It's dishonorable to the poor to say or pray such things, but to not be willing to engage and be part of the answer. And so this is one of those practical examples then, very much uh, in tune with first century Jerusalem and the surrounding area. Today we also have poor and social classes in our world, right? And so it's very much a one-to-one correlation in how we can view ourselves living this out as well. And I think this speaks to a larger issue, though, in Christianity and the church, right? First of all, oftentimes we aren't even willing to say, go in peace and keep our word. We're not even willing to pray that prayer. And I think we can grow there, right? We can grow in our ability uh, to pray. We've been talking about again and again that God is good, God is capable, and God is listening. If you remember those three things, it will be much easier to have an active prayer life. Because you know that God wants good for those who follow him. He is capable of handling any and all of our prayer concerns. And he's taking the time to listen to you. Not just to the prayers on a Sunday morning, but any prayer at any time in any place. We can up our prayer game. And then the second reason uh, that maybe this is a larger issue with Christianity, we often pray certain prayers but then we go on with our lives and we never consider that maybe, just maybe, God wants us to be part of the answer to those prayers. <clears throat> Oftentimes God gives us eyes to see something or, or a heart that is passionate about this or this or this. He gives us those so that we might learn to engage with those. Not just so that we can ask somebody else to do it on our behalf. And so we can pray more definitely. We can have this authentic prayer life that, that leads us into doing what James is calling us to do, and we can be open to God using us to do the action or the deeds or the works that are going to be necessary to have those and see those prayers answered. Because there's many ways in our lives where that is very much a practical reality. So what if we prayed, and then we asked God to show us how we might be part of that answer? I challenge you to do that this week. Uh, for something that you pray about in your own personal life or in the world around you or your family, after praying to the Lord that, that really, you know, that thing that's on your heart, the, that you earnestly desire, 
Ask, how, Lord, how might, I might be part, how might I be part of the answer to that prayer? Have a willingness to be part of God's work in and through this place, this earth, to be his kingdom coming here and now. James makes no doubts here on his position. Professing a desire, but being unwilling to act on it, makes it dead or useless. And that's what he's talking about with faith. Uh, one thing we talked about again in adult ed this morning um, that I didn't have in here, but I'm going to add it. Uh, sometimes when we see the words dead, we get really hopeless. And sometimes we might look at our own life and our own faith and say, hey, I am not living up. I must have a dead faith. Jesus is the one who takes dead things and makes it alive. So James here isn't trying to throw people out of the church who, who are struggling to, struggling to live out their faith, right? He wants them to go to the one who makes dead things alive, and that is Jesus Christ, the one who overcame the grave. And so if there's anything in your life that you are struggling with to live out according to what you believe, know that Jesus can help you do that. And he wants to help you do that. And so there is no hopelessness here in this message this morning and in this text. You know, Paul thinks the same way as James here when he's writing in Galatians 5, 6. He says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. He's talking about these distinctions that humans make in the faith. He says the only thing that counts in faith is express, the only thing that counts is faith expressing itself through love, acting. We have the beliefs, we act, and we do it lovingly in accordance with the one who loves us, Jesus Christ. In other words, faith produces genuine fruit or expression, and through love, the love that God defines and demonstrates in the scriptures. That is how God wants to work in us and through us to reach the world, to transform the world. All right, verse 18. But someone will say, you have faith, I have deeds. Show me your faith without deeds, and I will show you my faith by my deeds. So this is like a common Hellenistic argument, rhetoric. This is how people would debate and have theological conversations there. When one writes or gives an argument, James here, he is proposing an opposing viewpoint, right? So that he might respond to it. If you've ever done debate or things like that, that is still a practice we use in our culture today. And in doing so, James is saying that his faith is going to be filled with deeds. That there's going to be something visible that you can see. Uh, he will be acting in a way that, that lines up with and professes his faith. That's what his desire is. It won't just be an empty shell with no substance. There's going to be some meat and potatoes to his faith, is what he's saying. And then in verse 19, he says, You believe that there is one God, good. Even the demons believe that and shudder. Now, this profession of one God, this is James uh, alluding to the Jewish creed called the Shema. And we heard a little bit of that from our Deuteronomy reading this morning. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. So if James is truly writing to the dispersed 12 tribes of Israel, um, those who are in the faith, who've then accepted Jesus as their Messiah, they know exactly what he's talking about. The Lord is one. James is arguing here that the belief of God is one, it doesn't get you very far if it doesn't influence how you live. And so once again, he's driving home this idea that a faith in Jesus Christ will produce fruit. It, that's the logical and the spiritual direction of that faith. And a mere mental grasping of the faith is equal to that of a demon. The demons also believe that God is one, and they shudder, 
right? This is what James is encouraging us towards. Not merely a mental ascent uh, that is not saving, rather a saving faith by grace through faith embraces the truth of the gospel and lives are changed, which means how we act changes in and through Jesus Christ. I feel kind of like a broken record, but James is kind of like a broken record. He's using many, many examples here to drive home this point. James is encouraging us to have a faith that lives and acts, not just a nice list of tidy beliefs that we keep over here separate from our lives. He then starts to talk about a couple heroes of Israel. Verse 20, you foolish person, do you want evidence that faith without deeds is useless? Was not our father Abraham considered righteous for what he did when he offered his son Isaac on the altar? You see that his faith and actions were working together, and his faith was made complete by what he did. And the scripture was fulfilled that says Abraham believed God, and it was credited, him, credited to him as righteousness, and he was called God's friend. You see that a person is considered righteous by what they do and not by faith alone. So James here is, is taking the example of Abraham from the Old Testament, who all of the Jewish people would say, yes, this is a man who trusted and followed God to great, great extent. And James here is now pointing people to, to Abraham's life, and he says with Abraham, James makes it clear that Abraham was not viewed as righteous simply because he believed with no future actions. Rather, it was the future actions of Abraham that, that displayed his faithfulness and trust in God. Those things showcased his beliefs. They showcased his faith. Uh, we talked a couple weeks ago. It pushed his faith out into the open in an observable way when he acted according to the belief and the trust that he had. The belief was good and necessary, absolutely, and it is for us too. But the real testimony of Abraham came as a result of how he lived that belief and how he lived that trust out in his life. So Abraham was called a friend of God because he acted like a friend of God, not just because he considered himself to be a friend of God. They weren't just friends on Facebook, right? He acted like a friend. He had a relationship. He displayed his trust. It wasn't just mouth service. It was lived out. And the Bible consistently teaches that we are saved by grace, right? Not by our works. We are saved by grace through faith in Jesus Christ. James is arguing here that that faith is logically and spiritually going to lead to fruit and actions. And that we can't separate those two things. We don't separate the faith in Jesus from the fruit that it produces. So this recalls the previous section of James 1, where we are to look in a mirror and not forget what we see, right? Our faith is meant to be lived out. God's word is meant to be read, studied, and applied to our lives. And in the same way, the faith and the beliefs that we hold to uh, and, and, and ascribe to is to be lived out and produce fruit in the world around us. And then last example here, verse 25. In the same way, was not even Rahab the prostitute considered righteous for what she did when she gave lodging to the spies and sent them off in a different direction? As the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. So James uses this, another example of Rahab. Although Rahab was at one point living very far from God, she was a pagan prostitute, Rahab comes to believe in God's saving work. She trusts in God's plan 
in and through and for the Hebrew people that she was serving, right? And thus, she hid these Hebrew spies from her own people at great personal risk. She came to believe this, and she acted accordingly. Her belief, her faith, led her to act accordingly as she did this thing that was going to help God's people fulfill what God had called them to do. So she became, in the eyes of Israel, a model of the faith, a model of the faith in God's work and plan. She modeled the works consistent with the faith she had in God's work and plan. And she also is actually, if you read the Gospels, she's part of the genealogy of Jesus. So God not only used her where she was in that time, but went on to use her as a great, 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 great something of Jesus himself. Verse 26, James concludes this portion, this big argument that we've been spinning around here with a verse, as the body without the spirit is dead, so faith without deeds is dead. If a body has no breath or no life, no spirit, we would not call that alive. In the same way, faith without the production of fruit also demonstrates itself to be without life. And so James would love to see the early church. He would love to see Christians getting this letter and reading it, which includes us today, live out our faith in a way that demonstrates life. And let me be clear, there is no way that we can do that apart from the grace of Jesus Christ. It is Jesus who makes it possible. It is Jesus who leads us on through his spirit. It is Jesus who helps us to discern and know what is good and right and which path that he is leading us down. And at the end of the day, who gets the credit for all this? God. To God be the glory. This isn't, this isn't a sort of like self-help book so that we can get credit for our good works and look good to a lot of other people. This is James encouraging us to be who God has created us to be. Full of life, full of fruit. So that God may be glorified. All right, wrapping this up, what, what are some conclusions we can draw from this scripture passage? Uh, translating belief into action could sum this up well, right? We can translate our belief into action. And it takes a lifetime to figure out how to do that and grow in that, but that is something James is calling us to do. Even when it seems unlikely or impossible or dangerous, this action is going to show a growing and a maturing faith in our lives. This is the faith that justifies, James says. It saves. It is, it is near to the heart of James's message because this is faith in Jesus Christ we're talking about. The one who came to show us abundant life, the one who died on the cross for our sins, the one who rose from the dead conquering death itself, and the one who leads us into eternal life and salvation. And that's something that starts now as we have faith now in Jesus, it's not something we wait to start later. Our belief and faith in Jesus, when lived out, when taken seriously, when demonstrated to be real, it will show God's love to this world in an amazing way. And that's the invitation for us this morning. To live in a way that shows God's grace, to live in a way that shows humility a firm foundation that endures in any of life's circumstances and trials. And so what would our lives look like if this became more real for us?
And what sort of impact could we have on the community and on the world if everyone professing faith in Jesus Christ took this section of James and ran with it and were encouraged to live with its fruit that Jesus produces? It would transform the world. It would transform the world if we all take this on and allow Jesus to do this work through us. And this is exactly what James is calling us to. And let's remind ourselves of why we take these beliefs and actions seriously. Uh, it's about Jesus' love and his grace and his eternal life. And it's about our mission as the church, knowing that not everyone has heard that good news. It's part of our witness. It's our evangelism. It's our message to the world to have faith that is real, producing works so that others may see it and come to know Jesus Christ and his love for themselves. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you um, for this challenging teaching, Lord. We thank you um, for inspiring James to write these things uh, that challenge us here 2,000 years later. Lord, um, I pray that we would be challenged to do some self-examination in our lives. Lord, would you show us in our lives where we have room to grow? Would you show us in our lives where we have need of forgiveness? Would you show us in our lives where we have the capacity and the opportunity to display the fruit and the love of Jesus Christ in our lives and to those around us? Lord, if we're feeling like our faith is dead, we ask, Lord, that you would breathe your life into it. Lord, we ask you to show us your love and your grace in a fresh and a new way. Lord, encourage us from here. Encourage us to go. Encourage us to be the church and the people that you have made us and called us and equipped us and gifted us to be. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.